Why, hello there. If you don't already recognize my sultry voice, this is DJ Art of the High Score 510 podcast. First of all, I would like to thank you for listening to our show. Second of all, I want to remind you with a shameless plug of our Patreon page. Join our growing community and help support an indie podcast. The perks of being a patron, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Number one, you'll get our weekly quick hitters. Number two, you'll get feature conversations that are too hot for our regular show. And number three, we cannot leave out number three. Why, Jesus, we'll bless you. So go check out patreon.com backslash highscore510. And for the price of a tall pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks, you can help Taco Pablo relocate to Wichita, Kansas. Regardless of which, we appreciate your support and hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to High School 510, where real talk is our vernacular. Racist-ass targeting channels, right? I want some good shit. Target some shit towards me eating a salad. Nah, you want to see me get diabetes? All right, Aaron, so just look, looking at your zip code, can you name three places that sell salads? Ain't no such place over here. <laughs> Trust hey, me. There's that new market that right down the street, the Black-owned market. That market ain't a bad market. I give them credit. They ain't a bad market, but you know, the problem is they... They ain't a bad market. That's all. It's about say. the land they they built it on, where it used to be. What used to be there? <laughs> That's the problem. You know how like when you when you built something on an old Indian burial ground, you might have to haunt it. It's like a crackhead burial ground. It's like a crackhead <laughs> burial ground, right? Except for the crackhead's not dead. They just walking outside the front door. Dude, like, you, look, I'm gonna tell you this: you buy Jobani's yogurt, which is all fat free. You bring it to the house, and somehow that shit turned into yo play. It's a crackhead burial ground. I went there the other day, Jerry. I'm not gonna lie. I bought a kombucha there. And then when I went back in my fridge to drink some, it was fucking Sunday delight. <laughs> they built a grocery store on a crackhead burial ground and I'm, I'm getting hunted by high fructose ghosts. <laughs> Brandon to get to iPhones because now he's one of those brothers, like my brother-in-law. Yeah. He's like, I can't jailbreak it. I ain't using that. I don't feel comfortable unless they say looking for me. So just... <laughs> Pedro actually started off on iPhones but went away because he thought about how could he get the most music on his phone for the cheaper price. Man, man, look, yeah, that that in iPhone quality ain't what it used to be. I agree. It is it is criminal, like how much storage space they give you guys on on iPhones. Yeah. It's like, oh hey man, you guys have six apps, twenty songs. I don't know about you, Brandon, but uh, man, I'll go out and get me my space. I got two fifty six. Let's see how much is available out of that two fifty six right now. That's the question. Let's see. Aaron's about to hit iPhone storage. Um, look like oh, I got to do some deleting. See? I got to do some Somehow I used up 213 gigs. I got like uh, uh, my music takes up 12 gigs. That don't account for the other 200 gigs, Aaron. <laughs> How many screenshots you got? I know, really? Oh, Jesus. Aaron, bruh, that's a problem. Hold on. Let's do a quick intervention for right now. Because, Aaron, you got 256, you use it 213, and 12 of that is from your music. That's so 201 two. left. <laughs> All right, my photos are 50 gigs. <laughs> Dude, that's more than most people's iPhones. 
<laughs> it took a lot of B-roll, man. Uh, my podcast is one point one point nine gigs. That's nothing. That's nothing. Oh, no, 2.78, 2.78, excuse that's, me. That's still, still a lot less than your music, which is still a lot less than your photos. That's wild, Aaron. I'm just... Aaron, Aaron's got over four times the amount of photos that he does have music. That's not the kicker, CJ. I've been ignoring what the kicker is. What's the kicker? Uh, my TV app. 100.79 gigs. What TV? What I, got TV? Some, I, I got some films on there. Uh, oh. <laughs> and see, and the text messaging takes up a lot because this is why I keep complaining about people with people that keep sending gifts and everything else. Why is my text messaging app at 15 gigs? This always happens. I always, I told myself since I got this phone, I was, I try to keep it around 100 gigs used, 100 to 125 gigs used. Sounds so I just like got to go through a big purge. Maybe yeah. tonight's the night I purge. <laughs> you know, we got special guests coming on. He seems he seems a little inspiring. He probably inspired me. And this is what I do. I go, I erase all those movies, and then I start working them back up again. I would like to say that, uh, a cor- uh, just look this up, it's one gig per hour of high-definition footage, <laughs> approximately. Aaron's got a hundred hours. <laughs> I know. I know he don't. He don't do the Lord's work in non-HD or Blu-ray. Uh, what's screenshots for today? What's fourteen times three? <laughs> that's oh shit. That's Fifty. Uh, that's forty-two. See, there's a reason behind it that I can't say on air why I have that many screenshots. I can't give up on air. I, I'm not. A, I'm not gonna sit up here and dry slip. <laughs> I, I will explain later once that recording button is off. No, no, this oh, why I got that many screenshots from today. Can you just go to the screenshots? Because it, it does have a folder of just screenshots. Can you just tell us how many screenshots you got in that folder? Here's a good, here's a good seven, <laughs> 21 photos I screenshot of food because of these places that had, you know, I'll be, I be, you know, I'm a foodie, man. I'll be on my food. I don't call myself a food. But when I go to Albany, you call okay, bitches Albums. food? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, okay, I got, according to this, I got 1,700 photos. That's regular photos, right? Okay. And I got 6,661 screenshots. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Oh, wait, 6,000. I thought I, oh, man. I got so much to do. I got got to work on myself. Oh, niggas, did you you see me frying that chicken the other night? No. (laughs) I don't look at videos of just you sitting in the kitchen cooking, dude. I put it on the Instagram. I was going to tag all y'all talking shit about me being the wing king, except I realized I was cooking thighs. So, <laughs> Pedro is crispy, crunchy Conan. <laughs> the title gone. Whatever y'all talking about is gone. Y'all ain't been across state line. Well, we better get started, Jared. What time is it? Start the show. What time is he coming? He's supposed to be coming at three. Then we better get started, man. We got to be on our best behavior because he 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 he's a he's a smart brother. I know. That's why we're getting it out the way now. <laughs> we should talk first, to him. Talk first to him question. How many screenshots do you have on your phone? <laughs> no, that's the first question. How many screenshots? That is going to go down on my... Brandon, do you want to ask that question, Brandon? Because I think you... I need you guys to... No, do not ask him. That's that your question, Brandon. We got to ask <laughs> him some questions. <laughs> I need you guys to write this down because next week I'm going to surprise you. I'm turning a new leaf, baby. I'm going to wake up early, do stretching, push-ups, sit-ups. I'm going to be doing it all. All right. Well, uh, Brandon, I need a letter. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, 
Oh. 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 Okay. Omnivores. Omnipresent. Omissions. Obama. Obama. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the High Score 510 podcast. You can catch us at High Score 510 on the Instagram, the YouTube, and maybe a new handle on the Twitter eventually. We will find out sooner than that. <laughs> Soon. Um, you can also check us out. Check out our exclusive content on www.patreon.com backslash High Score 510. We started a Patreon page. Uh, so check us out. You can hear our uh, Kamala Harris, who is thick enough to be our VP conversation. Also, you can hear all our quick hitters and other exclusive content on there. So tap in if you want to hear some of the, the extra spicy stuff that you don't hear on this show. Uh, aside from that, we are here with... Uh, this is Aaron Grayson III, also known as AG3, coming at you faster than a Bay Area white person celebrating uh, Biden winning on Saturday. Man, they, they turned black real quick. Real quick, man. They they looked like they was having a black family union at the, at the park. We're going to conduct this professionally or we're not going to have an interview. You make the decision. What did you think about the fight? What you, I beat him. Everybody out there know I beat him. I controlled the fight. He was missing. I hit him clean more times. I beat him. You averaged eight punches. Less than eight punches was the most punches that you had in the round, and it seemed as though you couldn't get it close like, enough. It already sounded like you was against me. So I already ain't, I already, I already ain't got a fair fact. shake talking to you. But let me talk something. Let me let y'all know. I want to thank the whole hood who came out here. I love y'all. I did this for the hood. Y'all know I beat that boy. Y'all know I beat that boy. They trying to, what they trying to do is they trying to get that money again with Pacquiao and um, Floyd. But it's cool. I ain't worrying about it. I'm still that nigga, man. I'm on top Cincinnati. Stand up. West side. Two, five. You're three, three, and one in your last seven fights. What will you do next? Hey, I'm three, three, and one in my last seven, but I'll be seven, no against you. Well, that wouldn't Ooh. mean much. That's the end of this interview. Good luck. <laughs> Who was that after? Who was that after? Who did he fight? Uh, Pacquiao. When he lost to Pacquiao, he didn't throw oh. no punches. <laughs> he <threw> eight oh. <laughs> punches. Eight, he, the most punches he landed in a round was eight. <laughs> I, I like how he how that's the only arena Jim Gray would say that to Adrian Broner. <laughs> and, and, and Jim Gray knew that. Like he's like, man, I can say anything. I want this dude right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like he's gonna hit me. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't. He knows that. Unless Adrian, oh, Adrian Broner now might hit him because he's getting to the, he's getting to his rope's end on uh, on Leeway. He ain't good enough anymore. <laughs> Didn't sound like he was good enough then. No. <laughs> Couldn't beat him a 40-year-old Pat, Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> he was great at talking trash and not as great at fighting. And we are here with... Yo, what's going on? This is Brandon, aka Taco Pablo. Oh uh, yeah, man, good to be good to be back. Uh, just trying not to say anything crazy. S- stepping on real shaky ground, like uh, Joe Biden to the podium. How you gonna go mess the nice lady's house up for, man? All it did, you told me when we came in to beat her up and then slap her around. I didn't tell you shit like that, up. man. Yes, you now, did. You and your friend got a choice. You can either go out that window or take the stairs. Okay, yeah, we'll take. We're gonna take the stairs. Yeah, we'll take the stairs. <laughs> and we are here with. Hello, everybody. It's your friendly captain, everybody's favorite pilot, 
coming at you uh, like Trump. And I want everybody to recount those votes. Keep counting. Wait a minute. Where am I winning? Stop counting. Where I'm winning, stop counting. For every enemy that is aligned against you, let there be that we would strike the ground for you will give us victory, God. I hear a sound of abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done. The Lord says it is done for I hear victory, 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 victory in the quarters of heaven, in the quarters of heaven, victory, 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 for angels are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. Hamanda ata ata raka teda baka sanda ata ambo osa kata rite eke banda ata rike didi ashata. For angels have even been dispatched from Africa right now, Africa right now, Africa right now. Yes, Lord. Bless Lord. And release them angels from Africa. I need this miracle, Jesus. Yes. Amen. Yeah, he came out speaking in tongues and went straight to Africa after Jesus. You know I used to pray in tongues. Really good. He said I was I broke the record for praying in tongues. I heard you stop praying in tongues because you getting all them kinky women that didn't like regular sex though. See that's that's see that's the problem with Pedro because I had somebody no. put it on me one night so well I started hollering in tongues. Come on, I was no. hollering like her. Me, she sounded, she sounded like me that one night on my birthday. Just ah, oh. <laughs> no. So this is the misconception about um, church women, like they just good women. No, no, no. You'll find the biggest freaks. You'll find the biggest freaks out of church. I I, I, I cannot confirm or deny that. Well, I'll send somebody from the uh, great ministry to your way. They're going to need a man. They need a man, so they're real desperate. Mm-hmm. And they be acting out. So you can, that is, that's why they're in church. They're also in there so they can repent for what they did Saturday night. Yeah, man, but you got to listen, but you got to figure out how to do it while you listen to the son of a preacher, man. Then you won't feel as bad. <laughs> I usually put, that's why I always slip a gospel songs in my uh, late night mix. That way, that way, people won't feel bad when they leave my house. I slip a gospel song in there, you know, got some BB or CC Winans or something in there. So I go from R. Kelly to like Reverend James Cleveland. Wait, what did you say? I said R. <laughs> Kelly to Reverend James Cleveland. Okay, about to say, bro, you said Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He turned into he turned into an Asian person. I was half speaking. <laughs> switches L's with his R's. <laughs> I was half speaking in tongues, Jared. Yeah, you sounded like my Chinese auntie who kept calling my brother Ryan. Lion. <laughs> Come on, dude. Levelland. Levelland James Cleveland. <laughs> That's tight. <laughs> now, how does your brother correct her, though? No, she's like, yes, my name is Lion. Well, she she's saying it right. She just uh, that's how she pronounces it. She, she's speaking in errant tongues. That's what she's doing. Yeah, <laughs> the tongues of AG three, and my name is Jared, aka DJ Art, with two T's for a double uh, dose of that tink tink. The D is silent, so it's just Jart. Thirty seconds with Jason. Thirty seconds with Jason. Thirty seconds with Jason. Yeah, and they they we doing a crit rock like you you showed me back in the day. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, we'll find this one too. 30 seconds with Jason. 30 seconds with Jason. 30 seconds with Jason. Go, <laughs> Go cool. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> he, he said, he was trying to hoorah me. He's like, Jared, you look like Goku. Super. Oh, super yeah, yeah. And I said, no, no, I'm Goku. And he... <laughs> And I forgot. Was, I forgot how crazy that show was. <laughs> Off the rocker, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was crazy. A hey, shout out! Uh, if you want to hear a great episode of our show, make sure you go back to the episode called "On the Wall and Off the Rails." Uh, it features our good friend Jason, who was not drunk, but was our fly on the wall, but could could not contain himself to being just a fly on the wall. And interjected with hilarity. Anyways, um, how's everybody doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Right. Doing good. We have a special guest today from Cal State East Bay. Professor Cleveland is going to be joining us. Also, we've got some other cool things lined up. We're going to talk about some uh, NBA draft coming up. Who should the Warriors take? A question of the day uh, posed by Brandon. The greatest black male comedian of all time. We already know who the female We already know who the female is. <laughs> it's not a de- decorator of all time. The female, I'm glad we we said you re- reiterated male because we all know who the top female is. We, we, yeah, Monique? We, <laughs> Mo, Monique. She's the most decorated. Most decorated, Pedro. Because I am the most, and I say this humbly, I am the most decorated comedian alive. Shout out sponsorship. You think Monique has regular sex, Pedro? Oh no, she talked about her sex. She talked about anal sex, <laughs> um, on top sex. She even put on a strap on with her husband. That is not regular sex. Who is the greatest black male comedian of all time? Is it Dave Chappelle? Is it Richard Pryor? Is it Chris Rock? Or is it Eddie Murphy? And why do you hold them in that esteem? Hey, hey, wait a minute. No Rodney Dangerfield? You said black. You said black, black man, black male. I'm say it again. <laughs> oh, Lewis, oh, 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 black man, Lewis Black. Lewis Black. Did you know Lewis Black? Yeah, Lewis Black. <laughs> Lewis Black, like he's inward as much as everybody else on there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> no, well, I, well, I, thought, I thought about this question uh, because somebody was, uh, I was listening to Gary Owen podcast and he was talking to Bill Bellamy mm-hmm. about different comedians. Mm-hmm. And he's like, really, he did not realizing that, like, as a comedian, Eddie Murphy only did three specials. Mm-hmm. I think there's only three hours of him doing stand up. But meanwhile, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, Rich Pryor have hours and hours and hours of them doing comedy. And so, yeah, my choice is Chris Rock. I think he's definitely. Uh, I think he's, he's definitely more consistent and definitely more versatile in the way he he gives gives out his jokes. He definitely hasn't had the the movie career or the outside of stand up career that he's a terrible out. actor. Ed Murphy, yeah. terrible actor, <laughs> but his stand up is good. Yeah, Chris Rock talked about uh, him acting and him wanting to be just just recently on some some article or something I've seen online. He's like, just stand up is his thing. Um, it's like. He, he had really missed it and wanted to get back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's been working on so many films. But he said stand-ups where it's at. Go ahead with your other. I'll, I'll go last. Well, I'll say, uh, I like, personally, like, as you, if you ever hear any of my sound bites, you probably know who my, who I think is, or who my favorite personal 
um, black male stand-up comedian is. This is probably Dave Chappelle. He's also not the greatest actor. If I was going to rank who is just the best actor on film, Eddie Murphy would probably be the best one as an actor yeah. as sketch comedy or movies and probably even characters. But as for, uh, you know, uh, I guess the, you could say genius, but just the way he kind of manipulates and brings jokes back around and tells his jokes, um, you know, I have to say Dave Chappelle personally. But but uh, a lot of that was paid by Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, and Chris Rock and the, the avenues they, they cultivated for him to come out and really just be himself, so. You know, this was I told Brandon this was a, this was a great question and also a hard one. Uh, I would say out of those four, you guys would be shocked. I would rank. I, I won't go into detail, but I'll rank Richard Pryor probably last out of those four. Um, mm-hmm. He was. They're all funny. Richard Pryor probably last. Uh, you know, I'm see this one. I'm gonna be a little personal and go with Eddie Murphy. I love Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle because they're they're more social. Like you said, like Brandon said, Eddie Murphy don't have a lot. There's only three, but they're like three of the biggest ones ever, right? Like I ran into someone recently who were like, man, I just heard this Eddie Murphy raw for the first time. Someone who was young, it was like, man, that shit was hilarious. Like it wouldn't go, it wouldn't pass for today, but it was hilarious, right? I, I, I'll go Eddie Murphy, because even though Chris Rock and, you know, and, and Dave Chappelle definitely have more, uh, theirs are more relatable because, of, especially because they kept doing it for so long. You can always find one that relates to the times. Eddie Murphy's was just like, it was like just pure genius. He was the first one to be, he was as dirty and he was who he was and just raw hit hard like Richard Pryor and Red Fox did. Mm. But it was the first one that was like acceptable for everybody, right? Mm. Like, and it came on a time where it was less PC, so he didn't have to be PC. Yeah. So he could be himself and come and hit hard and just make you laugh and say things now that make some people cringe. Yeah. But that's something I can listen to nowadays. I just can't listen to it loud because I might get talked about. Well, you know, the funny thing is, like, you know, I remember in college, we, you know, we everyone had the the T3 internet or whatever it was at the time, where you got the fast internet and you could download on all the torrents or whatever on LimeWire. You could download like movies and videos. So I remember me and some uh, friends, we downloaded like all the Eddie Murphy uh, standups. We were all dying, and he was saying shit, and we didn't think of it now. But then, like, I remember. Earlier this year, they talked about, you know, Netflix putting uh, Delirious um, and Raw on uh, as streaming. And some of these were, you know, I'm saying not not PC yet now currently, but 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it wasn't no big deal. We didn't really think twice about it. Um, So it it shows you like the the transition of things. And even um, when Eddie Murphy hosted SNL earlier in the year and they interviewed him about, you know, him aging and you know, doing SNL again and how some of his old material, like how it ages now and how he kind of was like, you know, I said what I said and, 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 and it was the joke. It was in the time that I meant it. So I don't really take it back. Do I or regret it? It, it? it is what it is. So I think that's I think that's part of like the thing that makes it hard for people to age as an artist in anything. It's like, how do you progress with society? How do you progress beyond the genius that got you to where it it got you right, and how do you maintain that level of genius that people want out of you? Uh, Pedro, Pedro, what uh, uh, what do you think? Who who had the the, the greatest? Uh, Red Fox. So Red Fox is the greatest comedian. If you guys go back and listen to some of the old school stuff and the way he delivered, almost like he was a, some type of scientist. He was so slick with his words, mm-hmm. really slick. But out of the four, I'm gonna be like Aaron because it, I guess it was our era. Uh, Eddie Murphy, although like like you said, it's only only a couple of stand-ups. Um, I didn't even know he did three. 
I'm skipping me somewhere. And um, yeah, same here. Way acting movies, he played a couple of different roles. Mm-hmm. His range of acting just took took it over. Um, then when it comes to sketch, to sketch member, if Richard Pryor didn't get high all the fucking time, <laughs> we would have had one of the best sketch comedy shows ever. In the Richard Price show, that would have you wouldn't we probably wouldn't even be talking about the Chris Rock show or the Dave Chappelle show. That's true. The Chris, the, Chris, the Richard Price show was if, good, if, but he just fucked it up. Richard Price, yeah, Richard Price, the, the 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 three episodes are out there, and he was on woke shit. He was on the woke. He was. Yeah. They did a yeah, slavery skit. The they did it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they did yeah. everything, and he because of that cocaine, that beautiful white woman, that beautiful. <laughs> But when it comes to film, it's something fun funny, too, because Richard Pryor, when he was younger, mm-hmm. a lot of you young guys don't know it. He was he was he also used to tell stories like Rick Fox. Mm-hmm. I mean, not Rick Fox. Red uh, Fox. Yeah, Fox. Yeah. Fox. <laughs> this magic moment. Talking about what you talking about, Kobe and Shaq? <laughs> like, hey, man, Doug Christie beat Fox. the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say that that was a tie. No. Doug Christie got in those two good. I saw hands to one's face and the no, other no. one was. No, he got hit in the face twice, but they, it continued in the locker room where Rick kind of got him back. Mm, I don't know. It took okay. Shaq, Shaq had okay. to pull Rick off of him in the, in, in the hallway. Go back <laughs> and find the footage. You'll see. Okay. But, but like I was saying, Richard Pryor was used to tell stories in some of his older material. I guess yeah. late 60s um, mm-hmm. going into early 70s, which was a lot more funny. To me, when he started diluting stuff, we started cussing all the time. Mm-hmm. If you could tell jokes, because Richard Pryor didn't cuss as much as he did in the late 60s and the early 70s. You tell jokes and make me laugh out loud without cussing or yeah. being disgusting. I, I, I think you're a comedian genius. Yeah. I remember um, I saw a clip or interview of him with is it the Watt Stacks. Um, was that music festival they did? Yeah. So that was interesting because it was a young Richard Pryor and he was he was talking on some like intelligent stuff and also being like you ready for him to say something kind of off top, but like everything he was saying was truthful. And I think uh, I think Richard Pryor paved the way. Eddie Murphy gives a lot of credit to Richard Pryor for helping allowing him and creating the space for him to you know have that sense of humor and speak on that type of comedy. Dave Chappelle is also harking back to those guys. So I think they all um, are part of the progress of what has occurred in the you could say the narrative or the expression of you know uh forms of black comedy and 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 how you know they all kind of have helped each other up so it's hard to say which one is better i think it's just who resonates best with you and that's going to be a much more temporal thing uh based upon when you were raised and how it, it impacted you in different points of your life i think yeah eddie murphy for sure acting wise and in the film arena you know hands down has the has the best record and put everyone else you know uh behind them I think Dave Chappelle potentially could have. I don't think he had the versatility of acting, obviously. But um, if he hadn't stepped away when he was at his peak with the Chappelle show and walked away from that contract and, and kind of like, you know, gotten back to his roots, which is more stand up based stuff. I think he could have, you know, potentially grown and blown up into something bigger than all of them, potentially. But I think Eddie Murphy uh, also set set the tone and the precedent for him to be able to even, you know, propel into that that arena of film and and uh, video content. I'm gonna, I'll tell you this, Dave Chappelle's a genius. He did something very, very um, like controversial to the young ears and to the women's ears last night on his uh, Manilong. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was talking about the scientists and say, see, that's why she gets paid 50%. And he mm-hmm. said, then he went, oh, you triggered. I know what he was doing. I knew exactly what he was doing. Now y'all about to pay him even more money because mm-hmm. he's going to trend off of that. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. He tri- he's very, he's very dramatically changed. He did it when he was talking about the transgender. I knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Y'all, young one, y'all young folks don't know. <laughs> I knew what he was doing. So when you get talked, Publicity is just like with 50 Cent talking about I'm supporting Trump. Yeah. What he was doing. I argue with someone over that too. I was like, you realize he just did that for attention. Like you guys right. are like, he's no way. We all know he wasn't supporting Trump. He's he not also even went doing off, music no more. He's just no. on, on Twitter being a troll. And makes money. Yeah. He makes money off his trollness. He knows how to make money off his trolls. Exactly. Remember, he went off on Lil Wayne for taking a picture with Trump a week after he said that. <laughs> Like, come on, man. Say, I would have done that. <laughs> you know, 50 cent, yeah, 50 cent, you know, 50 cent, he say shit to get paid. Yeah. So, Dave Chappelle, the best comedian of all time? Okay. Other than Monique. No, I, I, let me tell you, and this is me coming from, don't forget, I saw Dave Chappelle in stand up. I went to see him three times from like 97 and uh, 90, in like one year in 97. Mm-hmm. I saw him in San Francisco about three times go to all his show. I like Dave Chappelle. I like them all. There's no like this or anything. But just I just you know so my opinion ain't like one of I hate uh, other guys. But who all right? So keeping this, uh, I'm bringing this back to sports. Who is the Dave Chappelle comparable in the NBA? Uh, Dave Chappelle comparable? Yeah. So I think see I think Richard Pryor is is Bill Russell. I feel like he, he can't take anything away from him, but I didn't see him in live. Yeah. I can't really I can't really put it into context like how crazy what he was saying was back then. Oh, uh, you want to hear something of what he said back then? (laughs) (laughs) I got something. You sure you you don't want to hear something right now? I want to hear something, Jerry, what he said back then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll play you something real quick. Uh, This one. uh, If you go to Japan or any Asian country, they could turn a television into a watch. Oops, that's I'm not sorry. Richard that was, Pryor. That's, 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 that's Reggie, Reggie, Reggie White, dude. Man, that's, that's, man, that sounds like comic view. Like, what are you talking about? That was Reggie bad. White. My bad. That I hit the wrong one. Rest in peace. Sorry about that. That was my bad. Hold on. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, here it is. Get one of these niggers, please. <laughs> Taking tests and stuff. Learning how to say nigger. <laughs> White folks taught our ass, too. They're getting them some new niggas. The Vietnamese. I don't see you giving him a magic moment for saying it like that, Jerry. 2020 elections are over, my friends. The presidential election has been called by most outlets uh, as they're almost done counting. And the projections are that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be our president-elect and VP going forward. Uh, What was the lasting impression from this presidential election but also what's the lasting impression just from the election overall and the the atmosphere of this election to you all look jared i disagree we ain't count on important votes in some of the states we gotta stop counting. who said who did y'all say kamala harris and joe biden are in the office i don't agree i want to see them votes you gonna go through all of them <laughs> i want to see them votes and them birth certificates <laughs> Yeah, this whole campaign season has been uh, it's been interesting. I think if nothing else, Donald Trump has gotten everybody more interested in politics otherwise, than otherwise they would have wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's just a a, a weird uh, mashup of just the woke woke culture and having like an old school politician like Donald Trump 
like the old school style politician, Donald Trump, uh, in the White House. Um, it's like when you think about like uh, politicians back in the 80s, there'd be all kinds of kind of, kind of crazy crap going on around, around them. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of backdoor deals, a lot of overt uh, biases that would happen, either racially or just like in your sort of circle of cronies. Um, but to have that happen in 2020, like, oh, like I think a lot of young people realize, like, oh, snap, there's <laughs> this corruption thing is real. Or like, oh, this is, oh, there's actual people that are racist out there in the world. They don't, and, and they tell you that they're racist. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's going to be Trump's lasting impact on, on U.S. politics for sure. We didn't, when it came to racist stuff, we didn't learn about uh, Lee Atwater until the 90s. I didn't even know Reagan's campaign programmer was until the 90s. So was, huh? racism was always, we was always looking at as white people as the absent to everything. You got to understand, it's not that I think Joe Biden what, got got 75 million popular votes, whatever it was. The reason why he got those votes is because everybody's at home. The reason why people vote is because everybody was at home. It shouldn't even been that tight. You got to think about 50% of America is still stuck on this 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. That's a scary thought. In 2016, the approximate vote was 138 million Americans, which was 58% approximately of the v- eligible voters voted in the 2016 election. Um, they're projecting this year's election uh, turnout was over 160 million, at least 160 reported by Bloomberg. 160 million uh, voters, approximately about 66% of the eligible voters in America. So what you're saying, Brandon, could, there's definitely some credence to that is that um, in the time that Trump came into office and into power, you know, it got a lot more people interested in politics, maybe some of the lay people that you don't want to be as vocal in the political realm um, that aren't as well thought out or are still caught up in some old mentalities or just believe in lies left and right. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe it got, you know, more people who, you know, saw a need to like become more politically active if we're going to have somebody who has their, their their biggest heights of accomplishment is them being a celebrity and a TV reality TV star slash a real estate mogul, if you want to call him that, as many times as he filed for bankruptcy, but whatever. But yeah, Aaron, w- w- what's your take on, on the atmosphere of the 2020 elections? <laughs> a lot of people happy, a lot of people upset. Uh, the big thing I got of it was things like this is just, even though, you know, Trump lost, and if you look at how many people did still voted for him, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very divided nation. Now, you can say he led to more of the polarizing in the divided nation. Mm-hmm. Like, before it was just politics, and now mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like it's still divided, right? And, like, mm-hmm. it's... Um, I know with conversations I had with, like, my sister and her sending out, like, a congratulations text to a work text group, and it just got all bad right? <laughs> because of a couple of people who supported Trump at, a, at their job and to the point where some people were texting her like, I don't want to work with this person. And I'm like, dude, why'd you send out a group email, right? Like, why'd you send out a group text message with, with like celebrating Melissa? Like, leave that shit at home, right? Why is, why, why is she, yeah, why is she sending people that she worked with an uh, email? About, well, it was I'll, a text message. It was a group text message that they all on. And, still, and that's man, what I said. No, I said, you got to no. keep it separate. I, th- I think people have a hard time with that now. It's like, it used to not be that way, right? Like, she was like, I've been working there for this many years. We had difference of opinion on politics, but she was like, it never felt this way. So I'm trying to take it, I'm trying to be like, okay, yeah, I know racism exists. I have no problem with that. 
people who are racist gonna always stay racist, especially if they're adults, right? My bigger thing is this, it's just like, I feel like the Democratic Party used to be the party of the working class, and I feel like that's not anymore, right? Like, like now the working class has become the Republican Party and it's scary. The white working class, the white poor working class has become the work where they used to be democratic. And that's, it's a scary thought for me. There's a lot of healing that has to happen. There's a lot of, okay, I'm happy Trump's gone. Don't trust me, <laughs> trust me, I'm happy. But there's still a lot of thought process in me. We're like, all right, why? Why did the working class switch over? Why is the Rust Belt like this? Instead of just painting them all racist and idiotic or whatever you want to paint them, just say, what can we do to help, you know? What do you want? What can we do to work together through this? So hopefully, you know, the next few years, we can start doing that and figuring that out. Yeah. The way that everyone's on their phones and social media, like you're only going to see things that you believe in. So I think it's just going to dig people further into their, whatever belief system you have, like these algorithms are going to let you know more about that as opposed to realizing that most people are in the middle. Um, the, the one thing that I, that I realize over and over again, that people in the middle don't really get any traction online. You can't say, oh, I think Donald Trump did some good things and I think he's kind of racist. Like that doesn't get any traction. You gotta go all the way. Donald Trump is the worst person ever. <laughs> or you gotta say that Joe Biden's gonna save us. Like you, if you're in the middle, nobody's gonna even hear you. Um, that's what the social media outlets really want you to do. They really want you to pick a side because that's, you're gonna, I'll watch conspiracy theories about Joe Biden for an hour but I won't watch his speech, his 20 minute speech from last night because I'm like, oh, he's just, he's not gonna say anything super, super special about this. So, I mean, that's my perspective. It looks like our guest has joined us though. Oh, we got a special guest. <laughs> oh, we got a special, hey, hey, Brandon, hold on. Before you talk about conspiracy theories, <laughs> if you have not watched Ancient Aliens, you cannot talk about conspiracy theories. Oh, that's all right, can we talk about how every Ancient Aliens episode is exactly the same? What? <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't you know. Watched, you ever watched that show, uh, Gangland on A&E? Uh-huh. They just kept switching out the gang. There's like, oh, this is MS-13. They shoot people, <laughs> they sell drugs. Yeah. Well, the next episode, we're going to learn, learn about the Crips and the Bloods. They oh, traffic they drugs and women. <laughs> yeah. And <I> <laughs> It's always a different iteration of the of the of the same thing, right? It's like they got just a different, slightly different color, a slightly different look, a slightly different origin. Uh, but but I'm gonna tell you, ancient aliens will tell you how the world started. I don't think that Atlantis sank. I think Atlantis lifted off. Oh God! It's physics, man. Conspiracy, brother. <laughs> Uh, well, we have a special guest. Uh, we'd love to welcome uh, him in, and uh, we have a, a, a friend of the show uh, who was who was uh, on with us a couple weeks ago, uh, Mr. Edward Hill. Shout out to Ed. What's up, Ed? How you doing? What's up? I'm here just to be a fly on the wall and make sure you don't get me in no trouble, man. Oh, <laughs> we already talked, and we already talked before 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 y'all got on. I said we gotta be on our best behavior. Okay, I only want intelligible questions to be asked. Um, so we don't don't worry, Ed. We gonna we gonna get you only in a little bit of trouble because you know we are gonna do our thing a little bit. But anyways, um, uh, but yeah, we have uh Mr. Uh, Stephen Cleveland, also known as the the Prof. Uh, how you doing, sir? Doing good, brother. Uh, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for coming on with us. Yeah. Uh, All right. You can't that 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 voice of God you heard that was our our resident trucker, uh, Captain P Funk. He's on the screen. He's uh, on the road currently right now, so his service has been in and out. But uh, that's pa- Pedro, and then uh, in the orange is Brandon, Taco Pablo, and uh, AG three Aaron. How's your day going today, sir? It's good, good. It's full, man. But apparently, uh, uh, you know, we are, we have a new savior. 
So mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> waiting, waiting for a long time to save us from this evildoer. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, depends on what side of the aisle you're on. We, are, we have the devil coming into office to yeah. uh, take away all of our freedom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can still not wear a mask if you don't want to. You just might get refused service. <laughs> Joe Biden ain't going to change that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, I mean, to me, like the thing that I keep hearing as the biggest fear in terms of Joe uh, is the idea that he's going to yeah. take away people's freedom. And I, and I just keep wondering what the fuck do they mean by these freedoms? Like, that's the part that I'm like, the right to bear arms. You really think this guy's going to take away? The, you think any president had going to take away the right to bear arms? Seriously? That's yeah. what we're afraid of? Yeah. Like, you don't have the freedom to be an asshole any longer. You cannot be a racist. You cannot be sexist. You cannot be homophobic. And, I, and the government won't support that shit. Like now the government was co-signing on all of that bad behavior and now you no longer can do that. That is the freedom right. of Outside of that, please continue on, man. You know, all of y'all who bought those guns, keep them. The army got more guns than you. Sorry to inform you. You never can. <laughs> Good luck with that shit. Yeah, I, I was seeing some videos online popping up of, they said coping MAGA people and it was like a thread of people coping and I think some of them were just obviously jokes but yeah like it seemed like people were really worried about the second amendment and you know job security and whatnot and I feel as though if you're just keeping track of things like job security is something in in America you put yourself by your bootstraps like job security is always can always be kind of fickle and up and down depending on what you work what industry you work in all the rights that are in the amendments and everything else we have like that's not going to change because it's not they're not they're not trying to radically overhaul the system, I don't believe so. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you know, we're we're in the process of peeling back white privilege. And mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, but unfortunately, that shit's got to go. And so <laughs> that is really the piece that I think people, if, if the honest conversation is it's all about race. It's the notion that these Black people in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Atlanta uh, have decided, they have the nerve to have decided that they want to have someone else in there, right? And they, 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 so how dare they vote? Their illegal votes, like their illegitimate votes, uh, have now put us in a spot where we got a guy who's going to repeal the right to be an asshole, basically, the right to be, um, you know, to be racist. Uh, and so it, it's not like he can do it alone, right? That, you know, that is his intention, uh, as stated uh, by the platform. Uh, and that's the only thing I think that as Black folk, we can really sort of, we can count on, right? We can count on rhetoric that doesn't uh, empower people to, 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 to get AR-15s and come after us, right? You mm-hmm. can count on rhetoric that doesn't do that. Like, uh, you know, I think it's gonna be up to us uh, as individual citizens to hold uh, our local state and federal governments accountable to deliver to us what we need. And, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm working on right now, and it's probably, it's inspired by the work that I'm doing uh, on the MLK project is to, to really sort of figure out what's next and articulate what next mm-hmm. for us. And so, you know, to, Democratic uh, Party and the Republican Party has, has centered America, uh, focused on things that we disagree on. And I think it's really important for us, and particularly within our community, to not focus on shit we disagree on, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to have any arguments with black folks about stuff we don't agree on. Let's just say that stuff we'll get to in two years. But for the next two years, I think we need to focus on all the stuff we agree on, right? All the stuff we want for our people, our community, and let's focus on getting that. The stuff we agree on, let's get that because we are probably going to have 
you know, we're going to have some support in that regards. We're going to have a, uh, on a local level, I feel like there's an opportunity for black folks to get some stuff done. Uh, and so hopefully we can stop stepping over uh, the good stuff, looking for the perfect and, and pick up that good stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. for that's, that's, that's what I hope the most in this moment. I do agree about rolling back white privilege, uh, and I'll let Brandon get to it in a second. Uh, but does that mean that pumpkin spice season has to go also? Yeah. I, I'll say yes. I'll say that's the main part of it. You remember that movie Undercover Brother? Remember how they were putting like all the all the brainwashing stuff in the fried chicken? I, I feel like that's what the pumpkin spice is nowadays. All the brainwashing stuff. Hey, I, I just I just had a, a, a theory that proved your your Starbucks and white woman uh, wrong, Jared. Um, I was at a Starbucks at a casino, and it was nothing but beautiful white women in line. <laughs> See, Aaron, I told you. I no, told you. No, man. I met, what I city? What city were you in? What city were you in? I was in Las Vegas. No, free. I had a free coupon to give me a regular coffee, and I was in line about 12 beautiful young white women that was ordering everything on the menu. So, so Professor Cleveland, Jared has a theory that pumpkin, that Starbucks is like, I don't know, something to do like white woman's paradise. And I always tell him, I don't know where he lived at, but every Starbucks I go into is nothing but uh, black people working it and buying that product, buying that sugary product, getting diabetes. And he, he argued against me. I hear you. I guess the only thing we can say is that, that uh, Starbucks is one of those things that's everywhere, right? Everybody mm -hmm. is into Starbucks. It's uh, it's as mainstream as McDonald's and diabetes itself. But yes, yes. <laughs> diabetes <laughs> gone mainstream. Gone mainstream, baby. In the eighties, I only heard about it. Now it's mainstream. Now it's mainstream, baby. You used you know? to get a, like a used to get a charity event if you had type one diabetes as a white dude, but now everybody's like, wait, everybody got, everybody got diabetes. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's I, obese, man. Come on. I, I got the diabetes. I always tell people, look, man, I got the diabetes, not the one you feel sad for the person, but the one you the one you you like you blame them. <laughs> Come on! Like when someone someone asks me what type of diabetes you got, the type that people blame them, <laughs> look at me with shame. You didn't, you didn't have the Julia Roberts and Steel Magnolias diabetes? No, nah, not that. That's that good one. That's the one they feel sorry for. You've been doing this since a kid. Like, Why is she fainting in the in the salon? Get her some orange juice and a chocolate bar. Exactly. I'm like, hey, man, according woman. to you guys, I'm supposed to eat margarine instead of butter all these years. We'd love to uh, get into uh, learning more about you and, and some of the work you're doing, Professor Cleveland. Um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself, like kind of your origin story, so to speak, of, you know, where you're from, what got you to where you are now, what, you know, uh, influenced you to pursue the work and the projects that you're doing right now? Yeah, I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. So I was actually, my mom and my dad and me were all born at the same hospital. Uh, and so that's, you know, I have 300 family members, shout out to Alabama, what's up fam? Uh, so, so I got 300 family members there. So when I visit Alabama, it's like you go to a grocery store and you run into a cousin, that's me. Like, <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I, so that's, who, that's where I'm from. I came from Alabama, we moved to Texas. Uh, I lived in East Texas for a couple of years. Then we moved to Northern California. Uh, where I went to high school in Oakland, uh, went to El Cerrito High School, um, and then uh, moved, I went to UCLA for my undergrad, uh, and then uh, SC for my grad school. So I spent about a decade in LA uh, doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, and after I finished grad school, I was like, I want to go 
get to know my grown cousins. I hadn't seen them in years, years. So moved back to Alabama, connected with them. I uh, met my wife there. And then uh, I, I say I liberated her to California. I moved back. <laughs> we escaped. <laughs> we got the freedom. Uh, <laughs> no, that's the good freedom. That's <laughs> a good freedom. And then we went to, uh, so I moved uh, to, Cal, uh, to Northern California to teach at Cal State East Bay, which is in Hayward. Uh, it used to be Cal State Hayward, now it's Cal State East Bay. But so moved there to teach in ethnic studies department as an African-Americanist. Uh, and so I'm a filmmaker as well as a uh, educator. So I teach humanities. So most of my classes have film, a, a class on black films, a black flicks, a, a class on healthcare and communities of color. Uh, I teach a class on interracial sex and marriage, which is a whole another, we could spend a whole topic talking about that. Uh, talk, um, I, I teach a class on evolution of black art. Uh, so that's, that's my joint, like teaching stuff on, on black art. Um, and so, yeah, that's what's up. And then, so currently I'm working on a project that's looking at MLK's time in Hawaii. Uh, so I came across this because I shot a, a commercial in Hawaii for the Olahana Luau uh, and got connected to a Hawaiian family there. I used to go there every, every uh, I used to go during the off season. So I'd go during the rainy season uh, in December and go spend, hang out in Maui as a black man. And, and and there was like, you know, living the black man fantasy because it's like, nobody's here. Nobody's done this before. I'm awesome, right? <laughs> and being there, I ran into this sister who was from New York, but she had all this information about all the black folks who had been to Hawaii. And part of that information was about MLK's time there. MLK took a couple of trips there. And so uh, I really got into this idea of what it meant about MLK that he just didn't hang out and uh, do work all the time, right? They actually came to Hawaii and I was like, what's the influences of Hawaii on him? Because I remember him having a lays on at the Selma Bridge, right? When they did the Edmonds Feathers Bridge. I, I remember those lays, but I didn't know what that was all about. So uh, this this film allows me to, to, to dive into that story and to get a better understanding of MLK as a strategist, not just as a leader. I mean, I think of people, most folks in this generation think of him as a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, but he doesn't, they don't understand it. Like he really did. He, he made some tough choices about how to pursue the best result for black folks. And he delivered on a way that a lot of people haven't been able to do it afterwards. Like he delivered policy change. He delivered upliftment, which is a part of it, right? The idea of uplifting our spirits when you're faced with getting your butt whipped by a system over and over again, you need somebody who can have soaring rhetoric that inspires you. Mm -hmm. while at the same time delivering on, on substantive change. And so this has been a very great uh, process in, in exploring this. And so the ideas we're developing a long form documentary on it, uh, but we're also developing some educational pieces because I think about a movie like 42 that I love about Jackie Robinson that most black people I know didn't see. Like most of the students that I serve, I do a lot of outreach with high school students didn't see that movie, right? And so the idea is I'm building an educational inroads, right? It's a multi-platformed uh, mechanism that allows us to not only deliver a film, but to also connect with community and to be able to help folks be inspired. Because what I'm looking at, the question I'm asking is, what's next, right? Mm -hmm. we, like we have a Black Lives moment that people have come to recognize finally that there is some sort of systematic racism going on, though they haven't they don't apply it globally like I do. I'm a critical race theory guy. So I understand that you know, racism exists in every 
system we have, but they have accepted it, in at least in terms of the police, right? So what do we do next with the fact that we've gotten all these allies now that see the world the way we do, or at least 54% of the country, right? Because we can't say we got all the allies, we barely won this election. So, <laughs> so how do we roll with our, our, our simple majority to get some stuff done, some sustainable a transformative change for black folk. And that's what this project's about. And that's what my work is about. I was, um, I want to be the first to say real quick, Jerry, hold on. Yeah, I want right, to say right. this real quick, that you got some of the best roots in, in sub roots <laughs> on the show. Being a person, I was born in LA and both of my parents were raised in Alabama and I spent a lot of time in Alabama. I wish that everybody else on the show had the roots you had and they'll understand. It might grow them as a people that red dirt out there grow you. You ever been to, you ever been to Sweetwater, Alabama? That's the shirt. This is Sweetwater, Alabama. Go. Southwest spent a lot of time in the red dirt with no shoes on. <laughs> no, man, Emma is that. I mean, and it also it forces you to see the world from different sides, right? That's one thing. Growing up, big city California folk, oftentimes uh, think really they don't understand the complexity. I, I came in on Brandon talking about. Uh, the complexity of who we actually are as a people. We're not very monolithic, right? So we take for granted, especially if you live in the Bay, man, the Bay is so, like you really are, like I hung out with Filipino cats eating at their houses. Like I know Mexican food, not just Mexican people, you know what I'm saying? So the idea of like growing up, eating, being, that's not the way the majority of the country is. And so being in Bama, being where it's very black and white, uh, super segregated, uh, you understand that you see the world a little differently. My auntie was really uncomfortable when I was hanging around with white folks. Like when I came back to Alabama, because uh, for film, I was in the film business and the film business was very, uh, really segregated. There was like black filmmakers and white filmmakers. And I got connected to white filmmakers from Alabama, from Cali when I came back. And so when I first landed, I was there working with white filmmakers and my, my auntie was always like, you okay, baby? <laughs> like, you, you okay? <laughs> and that's, that's based off of a history, right? It doesn't, it's, it's not just her being, uh, you know, old school and out of touch, right? It's really just based off of watching with her own eyes things that happen, uh, you know, with, with white folks, uh, with black folks who cross over and sometimes get taken, you know, not, not taken care of. So. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I love my roots are something I'm proud of. I say I come from, uh, you know, the, the civil rights movement to the black power movement in the Bay. Right. Mm -hmm. To L.A., which was the first UCLA was the first school to have a class. I have an African-American studies class. So I most definitely walk literally in the footsteps of my ancestors and I'm super proud of that history. Going along with what you're saying, like with like the nuance of Alabama versus the nuance here in you know California and how it's it is very different and, and the project you're working on about MLK's uh, time in Hawaii um, I guess you know the it, it does confirm even though it was said 60 years ago we said we've come uh, you know uh, we've come a long long way but we still have a long long way to go and like he, he discussed reconciling fact versus truth and that, that was something that kind of resonated with me and like you know, Aaron always talks about Alabama. That's one of the things he's pri uh, proud of and is part of his identity. We give him a hard time about it sometimes because he get real country here and there. Uh, out of nowhere, being a LA, LA kid and saying some real country <laughs> stuff, uh, still speaking his Alabama vernacular here and there at times, he says. Right. But um, but yeah, like the, 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 the differences in the worlds we live in all still in, within one is something that I think is super interesting um, in how we kind of like reconcile, like what is what is your truth versus mine? What is the actual fact that we can all agree on? And how do we get to being able to agree 
with our truths to create some kind of fact that we can all agree and move forward with. Um, so in this project, what is a, a, a goal or a ideal that you have as you do continue to work on this project about his time in Hawaii? Well, first of all, like, yes, that, that quote is a reflection of the core of the speech that he gave there. So he spoke before the first legislature of the Hawaiian uh, House of Representatives. It was the first time they ever met. It was three weeks after Hawaii became a state. And he came and shared that speech about his hope for us to move away from extremes. But still today, we're sitting in those extremes. And, and he talked about something that I thought was super corny when I was younger. Uh, he talked about love. And I was like, man, like, oh, whatever. Everybody love, what does that mean, right? But it's really like, I, I think that there, you know, there's a lack of love, I think, in terms of how we deal with each other, how we move. And I think, uh, I think that in the same way that we want uh, white folks and we want this America to have love for us, because I feel very connected to my Americanism. Like I, I own being a part of America and I have uncles who fought in every branch of the military. My dad was an army guy. I have cousins who are on the police forces. I'm saying, I'm not gonna like give up. This is my place, right? I deserve this place. My family gave uh, hours and, and years of, of free labor to this country. So I feel like I own this, right? Uh, but so, so I, want, I want love from America, but as black folk, we also need to start that love with ourselves. And I think the love and the grace means that I, if you have a little bit of homophobia on you, I can't kick you out. Like this whole idea of cancel culture has to move to the side, at least for the next two years. Our focus has to be on how do we find those things we're coming on. And not saying that we, uh, yeah, I'm saying that we learn how to, uh, to really do the thing that I hate. Other people will say that like you, uh, I, I can, um, you know, it's not like embracing people, but they're like, I, you know, I can, I can, uh, I will let you be, right? The idea, I'm gonna let you be who you are, and I'm not gonna try to make you change. And instead of focusing on the things I don't, I don't like about you, I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna focus on the things I do. And I think that's what we have to do in this moment: is figure out what the fuck do we want, and put together a plan to get it. Those things we can agree on. And I, you know, my big question for you all is like, what is it, man? What do y'all want? Because I know you know, I'm a little bit older. And so my generational perspective is, it's like, I have, I have a list I'm putting together. I talked to a brother who's the uh, president of the NAACP in Hawaii. And for a long time, I hadn't been like engaging with my elders who are part of the organizations and stuff. But now I'm seeing the necessity, man, that time with with King and the study and this is like, all right, we got to reach out. We got to reach out to our elders who may not see the world the way we do. Uh, we have to reach out to Black Lives Matter folks who may not see the world the way we do. We need to get into the spot where we claim the power we have shown in this election, right? Because this election is a derivative of the Black Lives Movement. Uh, it's uh, this moment that we're in. It's like the organization of Black folks who came together because they didn't want to see Black people get killed anymore. Which let me be very clear, Black Lives Matter, people articulated as this extreme organization. Now, it's one simple ask, please stop killing black people. It's really not that deep. And I think the rest of the rest of pe things people fear in terms of the left wing progressive agenda, like no, if you stop killing black people, we'd be happy. Black Lives Matter folks would be happy and we can move on to the next actionable item. Uh, to quote Jay Z, right? <laughs> but 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 you know, my critique of I was thinking about that is random, but it's like we can't move to the next actionable item until you stop killing black people, right? So we got to have uh, in this next year figure out what those three uh, to five things we need to make happen 
in order to be able to keep move on and, and then to be able to sort of move on together as a country, move on together as a people. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm hoping I inspire people to, 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 to get to a point where they say, okay, I don't have to agree with everything a person represents in order to find those things we have in common and focus on them and deliver them for black people in this moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so something that that keeps coming up that I that I hear it with you is that the the idea of us all coming together, but in my in my perspective, I feel like we're just so splintered as a people, and so at each other's necks about being perfect, about having that sort of like clean record that no one with a real voice can really stand up and say, I'm that dude, like like an MLK or a Malcolm X, you knew exactly who the leader was, you right. know, who was in the inner circle and everybody else is like, either you're with this or you need to shut up right now, right? So that's why we can have like a 50 cent say, I'm gonna I'm gonna support Trump. We can have Lil Wayne say, I'm gonna support Trump. And everybody said, oh yeah, he sold a million records. He must have some value in this conversation <laughs> as opposed to like, oh, he's a, he's a Senator or he actually is doing this work out there. And I don't know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a weird time to try to come together number one because as we started with like generation x like teaching that generation that you're you're an individual mm -hmm. but then having the millennial generation say you're an individual and you <laughs> and you can control the world around you right so you don't have to watch any tv shows that you don't have to have to watch right you don't have to look at any anything on the internet that you don't have to watch right so you're so much into your own sort of bubble how do you break down at least part of that to connect with somebody that you may not 100% agree with. So I had this conversation with the brother, uh, his name is Virgil Roberts. Virgil Roberts is a fairly well-known attorney in LA. He's a black attorney, represents a lot of black clients. Uh, uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, a mentor. And I sort of was having that conversation with him and he was like, you know, you can look at it like that or you can look at the reality that we have so many awesome leaders now. We have so many people. Back then, there were very few people who were qualified to be king, right? In this generation, we have so many people who have qualified, who studied, who's done the community work, who's earned it, right? And I think that that's a part of it. It's like, first of all, it's a blessing to have so many, uh, to be overblessed in terms of people who had a capacity to lead folks. And I think that's awesome. Uh, but the answer to it ain't that deep as my mama would say. It really is just about starting with, with this moment, with the space we're in right now. And it's about, it's about starting with love and not thinking of it as so complicated. I'm like, I'm saying it like, I, I don't know. I think about somebody like Killer Mike. Killer Mike has some very problematic uh, uh, sexism issues for me. So as a guy who's the father of two, two young girls, I have issues with the sexism that exists in the Killer Mike thing. And, you know, he, he's- Hope y'all heard that, Jared. So, so he's, <laughs> he's, he's a, I, but when it comes to the politics he's articulating, the idea of black economics, uh, independence, I, I agree. So it's about saying, I love him enough to be like, look, brother, I, you know, I will share with you if you ask about your, my perspective on some of the views you have on women, right? Like I have an issue with that, but I, but that's not the point now. Love allows me to let you have grace and time and God will deal with you on that. And instead, let's just focus on this. Like, you know, let's black economics. What is it, our plan for black economics? And yes, we need leaders like that. We need leaders who don't marginalize people who are not, because the way politics works, politics is not where we get our leaders from. Politics is about focusing on differences and highlighting those differences to isolate your people from the other people. 
And love is not about that. Love is about, uh, look, I, I, I want to focus on the things we agree on. I want to find those medium. And I'm saying that's the way it is. Like, I'm going to provide you grace on everything. You are imperfect, Brandon. I, I don't know all the imperfections, but I'm sure your boys will kick in and let me know. But uh, <laughs> you're imperfect. But, 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 I, but your imperfections are not the focus of my interaction with you. My focus is like, bro, hey, what, so I hear what you're saying. It's really tough, right? But what, what is it we want to get done? Do, can you and I come up with some ideas of what we want to see done? Let's focus on that. Let's knock it out. Yeah, I'll just tell you this real quick about Brandon's imperfections. He had me put in, I might as well got a pilot's license to become a third wheel because the amount of different times I met up with Brandon, he was meeting up with another different beautiful woman that I was like, hold up, hold up. This is a new person now? Oh man, now I gotta, I gotta do the whole third wheel thing again where I gotta learn this person's backstory and act like I'm really interested. Brandon, can we get drunk yet? <laughs> <laughs> Favorite black comedian, and yes. uh, where can people yeah. support yep. Yep. your yep. film? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Favorite yeah. black comedian uh, is Dave Chappelle. He most definitely has good company, uh, you know, from people like Richard Pryor. Uh, but you know, in this generation, Dave is just talks the best shit, man. He he just is really insightful, but mm. funny as hell. Like it's just mm. like Dave Chappelle is for sure. There's no there's nobody close in this generation. Really? Wow. Nobody close. Uh, so yeah. He said in this generation. He didn't say, like, like how would you compare Eddie Murphy stand up to Dave Chappelle? Well, Eddie Murphy was, but he's a mainstream dude, right? So, so when you talk about commercial versus independent people, like, Eddie talked about life stuff and about stuff that everybody mm. could relate to. Yeah. Dave Chappelle talks about black shit. Like, he, Dave Chappelle uh. talks about black shit. Even though it's accessible to mainstream, he, he articulates a black perspective on this current moment in time and he always feels like he says what I, I have in my head and my heart like in ways that really make, move me so yeah that, okay. that's for sure my guy okay uh, and then where can yeah where can people find uh your your work and uh where, where can they find you to access more of, of your knowledge and, and the work you're doing most definitely check out uh com, which is the project that i'm working on and from that you can connect to my social and uh, my website and the rest of the stuff. But that's what I'm focusing on in this moment right now. We're raising funds to do the work of setting that project up, which is really about a movement to uh, answer the question, what's next? Mm -hmm. Using the story of MLK's time in Hawaii as a uh, backdrop to have that conversation. So I'm excited about doing the project, man. It's been awesome. And again, like it's taught me love in a way that like made me be open to not like, I'm telling you, Edward knows, I, I get, I, you know, it's hard to hate a raid comes out sometime, you know, because when you see people doing wrong, you just, you know what I mean? You see people doing wrong, you just want to spank them. But I, I think now I'm trying to be a little, kinder, a little more kinder. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And once again, it's www.akinginparadise.com. That's it. Awesome. Quick question is, can black people save baseball? Is that a serious question? Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, oh, so in, in our this past couple months with baseball, we've been, you know, exalting the different black players, black diaspora players that are, you know, infusing the game. Uh, so don't have me go. Black people save everything. Next. Oh, <laughs> told y'all. I told y'all. And uh, last question, how many screenshots are on your phone? Oh Come my on. god! I just <laughs> deleted seventy-seven hundred of them. Oh, <laughs> that's smart of me. No, 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 no,
Cutty Corner Shoutouts. Cutty Corner Shoutouts is the segment we end the show with where everyone gets the opportunity to rant, complain, and discuss something that is on their mind. It can also be a positive shout-out if you want to highlight something that's going on in the world that you think needs to be exalted. Cutty Corner Shoutouts. Cutty Corner Shoutouts. It's time. It's, it's time. We're burning out. God, if you listen, help. So cold and bleeding now, now, now. I meant what it meant. Gonna let you down. He had sex with my mama. We're broken people now. I just said I need a backy out of Aaron. Do you have a Cutty Corner shout out? I do. My Cutty Corner shout out this week goes out to uh, advertising companies and media companies. And not just them, but also the networks that, uh, and, and the companies that are paying them to make these commercials and all that. Because um, during this pandemic, I've been home a lot, but I noticed something. And I noticed like, you know, I'm tired of the targeted marketing. The blatant targeted, when I'm watching football or I'm watching the shows I watch, and I keep seeing the same commercials over and over again. There's one of them that every time they come on, I cringe and it makes me want to go out. And not only does it make me want to buy the product, it makes me want to buy the product, eat the product, and at the same time, find the people who made the commercial and the food acting in it and just go ahead and just do my best impersonation of a white guy pre-COVID uh, doing mass murder, right? You take uh, your Liam Neeson training? <laughs> do my Liam Neeson training. Because I'll tell you this, uh, look, I don't like calling people out, but at Scribe Music, if I got to hear you one time, one more time saying how happy you are that I got Popeyes, if I got to hear that shit. One more, every time I turn on TV, I'm hearing this black dude walk in the door with a bag full of Popeyes chicken, seeing how happy he is he got Popeyes. Like Popeyes didn't exist pre-COVID. Like Popeyes didn't exist for all these years. Like having Popeyes is that big fucking deal, right? I mean, hell, on Tuesdays, the shit was two pieces for $2, right? You ain't got nothing special there. You shouldn't be singing about getting Popeyes. I ain't walking around singing I got diabetes. I, I got that type two diabetes. You don't hear me walking the door. That's what you might as well do. Walk in the door and sing that. Because if you singing that happiness of Popeyes getting that in a biscuit, then you gonna soon be where I am. You go, I've got metformin. Hey, I'm tired of the targeted marketing. Just like when you turn when I'm watching soccer, and then all of a sudden they show that racist ass T-Mobile commercial where it's like the family plan and it's a Mexican, it's a Latin family and they've got about 20 kids and they're like, hey man, we can afford this family plan. Racist <laughs> ass commercials. I'm tired of these targeted ass racist ass commercials, right? I mean, and what makes me upset about it is because part of it's true, right? But I mean, black people, they're the only people eating Popeyes. I talk to my Filipino friend once a week. Every time I talk to this food duck, he's been in line at Popeyes. But I don't see no Filipino <laughs> person singing I got Popeyes in the commercial. Nah, they got the darkest person they can find. Between that, having some Latin family with a, with a bunch of kids, man, look at this. We got the whole family on the family plan. If it wasn't for this phone company, we, we wouldn't be able to do it because we got a large family because we're Latin. <laughs> and that's what we do. We just be at home eating and fucking. They should just call it the Reggie White uh, plan then. That's all it is. They, you know what it is? I feel like every marketing company, when you, when you graduate from school and you get a job, they sit you down for your orientation and it's the Reggie White speech. <laughs> Black people are gifted in celebration. They always sing it and dance it. 
Mexican Latin people, they get to their families. That's why they got big families. You know what? I need to go ahead and turn on the Korean station or the Filipino station and see how they targeted them with the commercials. It probably followed the Reggie White speech where he said, If you go to Japan or any Asian country, they can turn a television into a watch. Exactly. Brandon, do you have a Cutty Corner shout out? Uh, yeah, I started to tell you all this earlier, but um, like I told y'all, we were going to be moving next year. And so I'm scouting out different places to go. And somebody said, you should go to Wichita, Kansas. And I was like, all right, for sure. <laughs> and like, like, I know this person. I'm like, why would I need to go to Wichita, Kansas? But like, I know there's a school there. That's nice, but I'm not in school no more. Uh, and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm looking at the house price. Like, oh, man, it's real cheap to go there. Actually, they were paying like people to move there. They were paying people like like 50% of their down payment on the house which is like $10,000, but not that much money to like move there and like get settled there, find a job, whatever. And then I was looking at them researching it. I was like, <laughs> so I said, I found this article. They had like some sort of cross burning like 2016. And I was like, man, that seems, that's, that's pretty recent. Like, and I don't know, <laughs> you, like you, <laughs> like, like you have a dog, you know how like have dogs have dogs years? Like, oh, you know, he's four years old, but in dog years, he's eight. Like in racism years, like 2016 was like today, like this morning. <laughs> like that shit could happen at any point. So I'm looking at like, hey man, I don't think this is gonna be Wichita, Kansas is not gonna be the spot for me. <laughs> and they get all the bad weather. They get they get humidity. They get tornadoes. <laughs> they get <the> snow. <laughs> Who the hell suggested Wichita, Kansas, man? It's biblical out there, man. I yeah. can't even tell you. Why you think they? Why do you think they had the Wizard of Oz based in Kansas, nigga? <laughs> Brandon trying to move to all these white paradises. That ain't a paradise. That ain't a paradise for white people. White people they were living poor too. That's why they try to get people to move there. Dude, I can't leave. I can't leave the house three seasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My Cuddy Corner shout out goes out to our current president, but soon to be former president. You've sown the seeds of distrust and have blatantly lied, manipulated, and just skirted around the reality that many Americans live on a day-to-day basis. And over the last four years, last five years, we'll say, you have you know, taken our country down a path that uh, it was already on. You're a reality TV star, which we have become accustomed to, but you've taken us so far, so much further down that road in ways that we don't want to go. It's crazy. You and your rhetoric and your ability to just say whatever is spewing out of your, your whatever corner of your mind and what direction you want it to go has been more effective at instilling and, and, and embedding the seeds of distrust and divisiveness amongst people who the system was working for in the first place than any black or person of color movement has been able to instill in the said people over 200 plus years. For some reason, we can't trust the media. For some reason, we can't trust the government. For some reason, we can't trust this electoral process. All because you are losing instead of the fact that, yeah, maybe historically there was voter suppression. Yeah, maybe historically there were laws that were uh, uh, created to m- marginalize certain peoples, but not you, motherfucker. Black people, brown people, yellow people. We've always left out orange motherfuckers for a reason because we wasn't trying to subdue motherfuckers like you. Okay, the United States of America has not tried to marginalize you and whatever it is you represent. 
you are one of the hues that we do not identify with that have fallen in, in between the cracks. And sadly, you have fallen between the cracks, but sadly, you got a platform to spew all this conspiracy theory bullshit, all this fake news bullshit to the point where now people who actually have a reason to be distrustful feel like they're not vindicated because of you. And the people who didn't have a reason to feel uh, 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 distrustful feel like there's something wrong in the country and there is something wrong, but not what you're saying. And unfortunately, you and the platform you've been given and, 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 and the, 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 the narcissism and the self-centeredness that you have have taken us down a path that is going to take years to repair. Hopefully, soon in January, we'll be able to start the healing process to get us back somewhere to retrogress, as I saw in that article about which Dr. King said, to retrogress to a point where we can say, you know what, we're back to a decent foundation where we can continue to move forward, not on this path. So, Mr. President, Mr. Soon-to-be former president, Cheeto man, you ain't shit. Eat a dick, and I hope you get sick. Well, that is our show, my friends. That is our show. Um, any final words you'd like to say to our fans out there? Oh, man, you know, keep keep listening. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, check out uh, uh, the professor's uh, work, uh, kingandparadise.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you can check that out on our page at some point. We'll promote that. Um, yeah, man. See y'all next week. Yeah. Don't move. Don't don't move to Kansas. Don't move to Kansas. And make sure you ch- check in with our Patreon page, where you can get our quick hitters and all our other featured conversations. This week, the MJ conversation and debate will be up, and our quick hitters. So uh, we hope you enjoy that. Otherwise, stay safe, be healthy, and uh, uh, we will leave you with this. All of us have something to say. But some are never heard. Over seven years ago, the people of Watts stood together and demanded to be heard. On a Sunday, this past August, in the Los Angeles Coliseum, over 100,000 black people came together to commemorate that moment in American history. For over six hours, the audience heard, felt, sang, danced, and shouted the living word in a soulful expression of the black experience. This is a film of that experience and what some of the people have to say. California is a weird state because they have laws for pedestrians. You know, like you cross the street, they have laws for pedestrians, but they don't have laws for people at night when cops accidentally shoot people. I mean, they accidentally shoot more niggas out here than any place in the world. Every night you pick up paper, nigga accidentally shot in the ass. <laughs> How do you accidentally shoot a nigga six times in the chest? <laughs> uh, well, my gun fell and just went crazy. <laughs> I think, like, niggas are the best of people that were slaves. You know what I mean? And that's how they got to be niggas. Because they stole the cream of the crop from Africa and brought them over here. And God, as they say, works in mysterious ways. So he made everybody a nigga because we was arguing over in Africa about the Watusi and the Bumhalada and the Bosumo and, you know, the Zamunga, you know. We thought, in different languages. So he brought us all over here the best, the kings and the queens and the princesses and the princes, you know. You know what I mean? Shit and put us all together and called one tribe, niggas. You know, you know, I'll be honest. You know what's the crazy thing about it? So remember, this phone was like super. This is when we made the bet. This was my clean phone. 
right? It's clean. The Past pandemic sense. told me up. Those, those 6,000, I would say 6,000 of those are since the pandemic, man. Aaron, wiping it off with a Clorox wipe does not keep it clean. That was not, no, no, I'm talking about what was on the phone was clean. Like, I I, I was able to hand my phone to women. And be like, hey, you know, here, I'll go, yeah, they can go through the pictures, whatever they want. Now I can, I, I, you know, I, I can get, my nieces can handle the phone, my mom. That was now, when you like, first got it, right? Like the first week you got it? Man, no, that was that was for over a year because I ordered this phone, this iPhone X, whenever it first came out. Mm -hmm. I do and remember you using your old phone trying to do all your dirty work on there. And at some the, point, you just gave up on switching. No, no, I didn't give up. That phone died. And and when that phone just completely died, I just went ahead and you know what? I, I This phone, it was the pandemic. I'm telling you, man. You know me, I'm going to be honest with you. That's 6,000. 6,000. Dude, Aaron. In, in the words of uh, the wise Martin Luther King in his speech in Hawaii, he said, we have come a long way, a long way. We have a long, long way to go. Well, if you think about it, to be honest, like I said, 6,000 of these screenshots came since April, which is a bad thing. Jeez. Because remember, my phone was clean. That's for two years. That was from November of 2017 to, to April of 2019. I was straight, uh, no, 2020. I was straight as can be. <clears throat> the pandemic has brought out the worst in some people. You know, some people go ahead and be racist. Some people had thoughts of suicide. Some people gained, you know, 35, 15 to 35 pounds. You have not really? had that phone for three years. I don't believe you. <laughs> it's Man, been a three years, 6,000 screenshots ain't too bad. Seven months, no. 6,000 screenshots. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. It's been all, like, if you, it, it's been all. You're messing your ratios up here. Because <laughs> look, look, I, I, you can go through the date. You know how you can look at it through date. If you look at my phone through the date, look at it like the months before quarantine and, and older, and you'll just see like family, kids at work, things like that. I used to be able to give my phone to, like I said, nieces, nephew. I would have kids take pictures. Now I can't even hand this phone to R. Kelly or Ron Jeremy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll be worried if they had the phone. So, Aaron, just do a little math here. Uh, it's been 236 days since uh, March 17th when things locked down. Yeah, that uh, that's 25 and a half screenshots a day. <laughs> no, not every day is screenshot, man. Sometimes it's like, like that, Brandon. All that happened in a matter of probably minutes.